Ancient Rome was one of the great triumphs of human civilization. There were engineering marvels like giant temples, stone aqueducts, and extensive road systems. Romans established many of the roots of modern democracy and the postal service. And of course, they had chariot races and gladiator battles. At its height, the Roman Empire encompassed over 1.7 million square miles and governed more than 100 million people. To control such wide swaths of land and people, rulers had to be strong, decisive, and at times brutal. For many centuries, a collection of kings and senators shouldered the job. But then, one man consolidated power and forever changed history. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar is considered Rome's first dictator. But his rule was short-lived. After only four years, he was assassinated by Marcus Brutus on March 15, 44 BCE. After Caesar, the Roman Republic fell into civil war and chaos, until Caesar's adopted son and great-nephew Octavian took control and became Emperor Augustus in 27 BCE. From that point on, Augustus set out to create a dynasty from his blood and the blood of Caesar. He ruled for 40 years with the hope of passing on the imperial crown to his family. But his heirs died before they could take the throne. When Augustus himself died in 14 CE, he left the empire to a series of emperors who were either too damaged, too young, or simply unprepared for the pressure of the position. As William Shakespeare wrote in the play Henry IV, Uneasy is the head that wears a crown, and amongst Roman emperors, there were many uneasy heads. To cope with the pressure, Augustus's descendants turned to executions, sexual depravity, torture, and debauchery. The crown turned ordinary rulers into tyrants, and tyrants into dictators, until they nearly destroyed Rome. Welcome to Dictators, a ParCast original. I'm Kate. And I'm Richard. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Dictators for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar. This season, we're time warping back to ancient Rome, where we'll dive into the notoriously violent and depraved reigns of emperors Tiberius, Caligula, and Nero. All three men were related by a complex family tree of blood and adoption that can be traced back to Emperor Augustus and Julius Caesar before him. Today we'll kick off this deep dive into the Roman Empire with the rise of Tiberius. From his childhood in exile to his awkward adolescent years in the shadow of Emperor Augustus, Tiberius was an unlikely leader. Many Romans assumed he would never ascend the throne, once he descended into madness and depravity, they wished he hadn't. Next week, we'll chronicle Tiberius's final years in power, and we'll try to understand what triggered him to retreat to the island of Capri, where he built palaces of sexual perversion 
and dungeons of torture. Coming up, Tiberius's fraught childhood. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. The legacy of Roman Emperor Tiberius is one of a monster. Ancient Roman historians documented Tiberius's torture chambers, orgies with young boys, and other sexual perversions. But Tiberius's wickedness oftentimes overshadows the fact that for well over a decade, he was considered a measured and moderate ruler. From the year 14 CE to about 31 CE, Tiberius ruled Rome with an even hand. Senators respected his thoughtfulness and wisdom. He encouraged freedom of speech and a fair legal system. And where Augustus had spent lavishly on temples and wars, Tiberius introduced fiscal responsibility. Instead of building monuments to himself, Tiberius repaired old temples and roads. He strengthened the Roman military while reigning in wasteful government spending. Sadly, Tiberius's accomplishments during that first decade and a half paled in comparison to the horrors of the last six, when he withdrew from the public and became the monster he's known as today. To understand the tragic unraveling of Tiberius, we need to start from the beginning. In Tiberius's early years, he didn't aspire to be an emperor, dictator, or even a political leader. Like many other Romans at the time, he wasn't expected to survive childhood. On November 16, 42 BCE, Tiberius was born to a prominent Roman family. Even though Tiberius's 16-year-old mother, Livia, was considered an extraordinary beauty, Tiberius emerged a misshapen baby. He had a protruding forehead, sunken chin, and a prominent hooked nose, even by Roman standards. But Tiberius's parents didn't have time to worry about the infant's appearance. He entered the world in a period of great conflict in the Roman Empire. Two years before Tiberius's birth, Julius Caesar was assassinated by Marcus Brutus, 
and the Republic collapsed into civil war. Mark Antony, who was Caesar's co-counsel, and Octavian, who was Caesar's great-nephew and adopted son, led a military campaign against Brutus and his co-conspirators. The pair succeeded in defeating Brutus and the uprising. But soon, Mark Antony and Octavian were locked in their own struggle for power. As Caesar's co-counsel, Mark Antony claimed he was the most qualified to rule. On the other hand, Octavian believed he was the rightful heir to the throne since he was descended from Caesar. With the two men at a stalemate, a new civil war erupted across the Republic. The conflict forced Roman citizens to choose sides once again. Many, like Tiberius's father, swore allegiance to Mark Antony. But Octavian dispatched his soldiers to hunt them all like traitors. As a result, Tiberius's first years were spent on the run with his parents. At times, Tiberius's mother, Livia, had to hide Tiberius in blankets to prevent his cries from giving away their hiding place. Thankfully, their exile didn't last long. In 45 BCE, with Mark Antony on the run, Octavian controlled the city of Rome and a majority of the Republic. He decided to grant amnesty to Mark Antony's supporters, allowing young Tiberius and his family to return to the capital. They were safe from retribution from the uprising. But they soon faced a new threat. When Octavian laid eyes on Tiberius's mother, Livia, he fell madly in love. She was now 19 years old and one of the most beautiful women in the realm. The fact that Livia was already married and pregnant didn't matter to Octavian. He decided that he had to have her. At the time, it was common practice for nobility to take other men's wives. But four-year-old Tiberius didn't know that and couldn't understand why his mother was being taken from him. On January 19, 38 BCE, three days after Livia gave birth to Tiberius's brother, she officially married Octavian. Young Tiberius stood in the back of the temple as his father was forced to give Livia away at the ceremony. Through tearful eyes, Tiberius watched a strange, powerful man kiss his mother. He looked to his father for help, but Tiberius Sr. couldn't look him in the eye. It was a profound moment for the little boy. He realized that life was uncertain, fickle, and one's fate could change in the blink of an eye. It was a lesson that would haunt him forever, and it may have planted a seed of madness that would lay dormant for decades, until it was too late. Meanwhile, things only got worse for Tiberius. The day after the wedding, he and his father were banished from Rome, along with Drusus, Livia's newborn baby. For the next five years, the little family lived in exile, until 33 BCE, when Tiberius Sr. died of natural causes. Nine-year-old Tiberius was forced to perform the eulogy at his father's funeral. In the first decade of his life, Tiberius experienced sadness and heartbreak on a deep existential level. For the rest of his life, he was described as withdrawn, introspective, and morose. But at least the little boy found a new home 
After the death of Tiberius Sr., Livia convinced Octavian to allow her sons to return to Rome, and Octavian reluctantly welcomed the young boys into his home as his stepsons. Life in Octavian's palace was a confusing one for Tiberius. He went from living in exile to a lavish mansion with fountains and gardens. Meanwhile, it wasn't a particularly welcoming environment. In Roman society, stepchildren were more accepted than in many cultures. But the emperor didn't have much time for the boys. He was still occupied with fighting Mark Antony, who had been a thorn in his side for over a decade. Care for the boys fell to Livia and her squadron of servants. And Livia was starting to entertain big dreams for her boys. She wanted them to grow up to be important leaders in the empire, either senators or military generals. So she made sure they were given comprehensive education in rhetoric, literature, diplomacy, and military tactics. The boys were accompanied in their studies by Octavian's daughter Julia and nephew Marcellus. The four children played and learned together as relative equals, which meant that though Tiberius was the oldest, he was frequently ridiculed for his appearance by Julia and Marcellus. Livia did her best to shield Tiberius. Even though he was a strange-looking child, he was hers. And she vowed to give him the best life that she could. Whenever Octavian was around, she urged him to involve Tiberius in government affairs. And eventually, her pleas worked. On August 13, 29 BCE, a great celebration was held in Rome for Octavian's victory over Mark Antony. After a final naval battle in Actium, Antony had committed suicide. So Octavian and his soldiers marched through the streets of Rome to much cheering and adulation. Over the next three days, there were feasts, games, parades, and gladiator matches. For most of the festivities, 12-year-old Tiberius watched with Livia, Drusus, and the rest of his extended family. But then on the evening of the second day, something unexpected happened. Octavian requested that Tiberius accompany him, along with Marcellus, in the final triumphal procession the next day. Tiberius was speechless. At first, he thought it might be a practical joke. He wondered why Octavian would want his misshapen stepson to join him in the celebratory ride. But Livia assured Tiberius that Octavian chose him because he saw great things for him in the future. That evening, she helped him pick out his best clothing and jewelry. Then, on the morning of August 15th, Tiberius joined Octavian and Marcellus in the imperial stables. Tiberius swung his leg over one of the pristine white horses and joined his stepfather. Tiberius rode on Octavian's left, and Marcellus on the right. For Tiberius, it didn't matter which side he was on. The entire event felt like a dream. He never imagined that he would see an imperial triumph, let alone ride next to the emperor. The procession lasted several hours and was excruciating in the bright Roman sunshine. But Tiberius stood tall. He rode proudly and carried himself well. It was his first taste of the Imperial Spotlight, but it wouldn't be his last. 
Coming up, Tiberius jockeys for supremacy with Emperor Augustus's children. Listeners, I have a surprising treat for you. You know you can find love in a bar or on an app. Why not a podcast? In Blind Dating, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we're expanding the places you can meet your match with a twist you'll never see coming. Every Wednesday, YouTuber and host Tara Michelle introduces one hopeful single to two strangers in a voice-only call. Through a series of illuminating games and questions, the trio finds all the sweetness and awkwardness of a first date minus the distraction of appearances. But once our hopeful single chooses their match, the cameras are turned on and it's either butterflies or goodbye. Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On August 15th, 29 BCE, 12-year-old Tiberius rode in his first Roman triumph. For a self-conscious boy with bad skin and a misshapen head, it was both terrifying and exhilarating. Of course, there were people who pointed and called him names, but that motivated him to stand taller. After the festivities, Tiberius was officially a public figure in Rome. Imperial sculptors carved marble statues of the boy. The artists downplayed Tiberius's forehead and nose, though many statues still hint at the boy's awkward appearance. The statues were a great honor for Tiberius, but he didn't let it go to his misshapen head, yet. At this point in his life, he had few reasons to think he would ever be emperor. Roman citizens already considered Octavian's nephew Marcellus as the next emperor. He was handsome, athletic, and of course, he shared Octavian and Julius Caesar's blood. Octavian even promised Marcellus his daughter Julia's hand in marriage. As a consolation, Octavian promised 12-year-old Tiberius to the daughter of one of Octavian's most important generals, Marcus Agrippa. But according to Roman custom, Tiberius would have to wait until he was at least 14 years old to finally marry. In the meantime, Octavian tasked the boys with learning as much as they could about military affairs. They practiced with swords and spears, and they learned how to handle horses on long voyages. Then, the following year, the boys were given a more significant responsibility. In 28 BCE, Octavian allowed Tiberius and Marcellus to accompany him to the region of Cantabria in present-day Spain. The region was in revolt against the empire. Octavian used the opportunity to teach the boys about leading armies, as well as his goal of expanding the empire as far as possible. During the voyage, Tiberius soaked up as much knowledge and experience from Octavian as possible. 
He watched how his stepfather interacted with his soldiers and noted that Octavian inspired both their respect and their fear. The journey was nearly half a year long. When they arrived back in Rome, there was much fanfare, not only for their safe return, but also because the Roman Senate bestowed unprecedented powers on Octavian. In 27 BCE, Octavian was named Emperor for Life and given the title Emperor Augustus. But Emperor for Life doesn't mean much if life is cut short. In the winter of 23 BCE, Augustus fell ill from fever. At the time, fever usually carried a death sentence. With rudimentary medical care, many people never recovered. So, Augustus and his advisors made a hasty plan for succession. At 19 years old, Marcellus was still too young to rule. Since Roman senators had to be at least 25 years old, Augustus wanted his nephew to meet that requirement before ascending to the throne. As a result, Augustus enlisted the help of one of his best friends and powerful military generals, Marcus Agrippa, a man who also happened to be Tiberius's future father-in-law. Augustus entrusted stewardship of the entire empire to Agrippa until Marcellus was mature enough to take over. At that point, Agrippa would step aside. Marcellus didn't like the plan, but he did not dare oppose his dying uncle and emperor. Even if he had, however, it wouldn't have made any difference. In an ironic twist of fate, Augustus recovered from his fever, he maintained control of the empire, and a few short months later, Marcellus fell ill with fever and died. Augustus was heartbroken. Not only had his nephew and son-in-law died, but now he was without a suitable heir to take the throne. After elaborate funeral processions and offerings, Augustus turned to securing a new heir. He did have stepsons Tiberius and Drusus, but Augustus's priority was creating a dynasty from his and Julius Caesar's bloodline. Tiberius wouldn't do. And since his widowed daughter Julia was still alive, he decided to marry her to his best friend and lieutenant, Agrippa. Even though Agrippa was 24 years older than Julia, they didn't waste any time. They bore Augustus two grandsons, Gaius and Lucius. With that, a great weight was lifted from Augustus's shoulders. Now he had everything settled in case he died, with two grandsons in the care of his trusted new son-in-law, Agrippa. Meanwhile, while Augustus and Agrippa obsessed over the imperial succession, Tiberius did his best to forge his own path in Rome. He took what he'd learned by Augustus's side in Cantabria and was working hard at building up a military career. Still an introspective boy, he spent many hours alone, practicing with weapons and horses. And in 20 BCE, it paid off. Augustus appointed his 22-year-old stepson to lead a military operation into Armenia. Tiberius led a contingent of soldiers to the eastern regions of the empire to help the brother of the current king, Tigran, seize power. Tigran had been living in exile in Rome and was now a strong ally of Augustus. 
Tiberius's mission was to place a crown on Tigran's head without bloodshed, and he succeeded. When he returned to Rome, there was great celebration. He had executed his first mission as a military leader beautifully, and now it was also time for him to be married. In 19 BCE, Augustus officially approved of 23-year-old Tiberius's wedding to Agrippa's daughter, Vipsania. Unlike many arranged Roman marriages, Tiberius and Vipsania actually loved each other. They had known each other for almost 10 years. Even though Tiberius wasn't handsome, Vipsania cared for him deeply. The fates seemed to finally be shining on Tiberius. Not only did he find a wife who loved him for who he was and a successful military career, Augustus appointed him as an apprentice senator. But the military part often took precedence in Augustus's Rome. In the fall of 19 BCE, Tiberius once again accompanied the emperor on a series of military campaigns. First, they headed into the Germanic region. The following summer, they went to Gaul. But then, tragedy struck yet again. In 14 BCE, Augustus's son-in-law Agrippa died. It was a devastating moment for Augustus. Agrippa was his best friend, and now his imperial bloodline was in danger once again. His grandsons were still too young to rule if he were to suddenly die. So this time, Augustus turned to his adopted son and now his most trusted military general, Tiberius. Tiberius was commanded to divorce his wife, Vipsania, and marry Augustus's daughter, Julia. This way, as Julia's husband, Tiberius would be bound by honor to protect Augustus's grandsons. Now Tiberius had his devastating moment, one appallingly similar to the injustice that he had witnessed when his father had to divorce Livia. He had to forsake the woman he loved, who loved him unconditionally. Worse still, Vipsania was pregnant with their first child. It was another lesson in the cruel, dispassionate nature of imperial politics. And to top everything off, Tiberius now had to concern himself with Julia. Even though they had grown up together in the same home, Julia did not care for Tiberius. She still saw him as the ugly stepbrother who came to live in her home. But Tiberius and Julia's childhood squabbles didn't matter to Augustus. He needed a strong man to protect his grandson. So in 11 BCE, Tiberius and Julia married. Shortly after the wedding, the new couple had a baby, who died in infancy. Even worse for Tiberius, however, was Julia's lascivious behavior. She enjoyed numerous affairs with Roman men and subjected Tiberius to constant embarrassment. So Tiberius spent more and more time on distant military operations. At least his soldiers respected him and the work gave him an opportunity to push the empire even further north. Starting in 12 BCE, Tiberius and his brother Drusus spearheaded a massive military expansion into the region of Germania. But being out in the field meant that Tiberius received news days late, which might make it too late. 
One crisp autumn morning in 9 BCE, 33-year-old Tiberius was awoken by a rider. The messenger nearly leapt off his horse to the ground at Tiberius's feet. The man told Tiberius that his brother Drusus was injured in a riding accident in the northern German regions. Drusus's horse reared and landed on his leg, crushing his femur. Tiberius immediately saddled his best horse. He chose a guide to ride with him, and they set off immediately at a gallop. They rode day and night across hundreds of miles of mountains and valleys through what is now northern Italy, Switzerland, and into Germany. Almost a week later, Tiberius arrived just in time at Drusus's camp. He found his younger brother and best friend barely clinging to life. Tiberius tried to comfort Drusus in his final hours, and he held his hand as he slipped into death. It was another devastating blow to Tiberius. The next day, Tiberius started the long journey back to Rome with Drusus's body. Tiberius walked the entire way in front of the casket as a show of respect and mourning. Back in Rome, Emperor Augustus honored Drusus with grand funeral processions. Throughout the ceremonies, Tiberius held a place of honor at Augustus's right hand, along with Augustus's young grandsons, Gaius and Lucius, who are now 11 and 8 years old respectively. Even though the boys were young, Tiberius already sensed their burgeoning struggle for the throne. So, in 6 BCE, 36-year-old Tiberius made one of his first imperial power plays. He asked Augustus for permission to take a sabbatical on the Greek island of Rhodes. Augustus refused. In his opinion, there were no vacations for emperors and their lieutenants. They had more provinces to conquer and subdue. So Tiberius went on a hunger strike. He didn't eat for several days and vowed to commit suicide by starvation if he was forced to return to fighting. Finally, Augustus backed down, perhaps at the behest of Tiberius's mother, Livia. Augustus agreed to allow Tiberius to retire to Rhodes. Historians have debated Tiberius's motivations for the self-imposed exile. Some think it was to avoid the shame of being married to Julia, who continued to have affairs around Rome. Others believe it was to prove to Augustus that he was more important to the empire as a senator than a military general. He wanted a career change. And many are convinced it was to let Augustus spend some time with Gaius and Lucius and realize they weren't ready to rule. Either way, Tiberius spent almost seven years on Rhodes. There, he read books and practiced rhetoric with Greek scholars. He listened to music and entertained friends at lavish banquets. More importantly, some historians also believe that Rhodes was the origin of the sexual perversions that would become such a fixture in Tiberius's later life. But they wouldn't take over for now. In the year 2 BCE, Tiberius received an unexpected message from Rome. Augustus had discovered Julia's affairs, banished his daughter to an island, and annulled her marriage to Tiberius. The following year, in 1 BCE, free of the shame of Julia, Tiberius sent a letter to Augustus. He requested permission to return back to Rome 
and Augustus agreed, on the condition that Tiberius remain out of politics. At this point, Augustus's grandsons were old enough to ascend the throne if he were to die. In essence, Augustus didn't need Tiberius as a lieutenant or babysitter anymore. So in 2 CE, 44-year-old Tiberius finally returned to Rome. The homecoming was bittersweet. He was able to see his mother and family. He was free of the stress of military campaigns and imperial business. But suddenly, he was thrust back into the spotlight. Later that year, Augustus's youngest grandson, 19-year-old Lucius, was killed in battle on the way to Hispania, present-day Spain. It was a tremendous blow to Augustus and the empire, but at least there was still one other grandson in line for the throne. Until the ultimate tragedy struck. In September of 3 CE, 23-year-old Gaius was shot by an arrow. He died of his wounds a few months later on February 21st, 4 CE. Augustus's worst nightmare came true. He had planned for years to build a dynasty, and his heirs kept dying. First his nephew Marcellus, now Julia's children. There was only one glimmer of hope for the empire. Tiberius's nephew Germanicus, named for Drusus's brave conquests in the Germanic regions, could trace his family tree on his mother's side back to Julius Caesar. So Germanicus became Augustus's only option for passing on the empire to Caesarian blood. The only problem was that 19-year-old Germanicus was too young to take the throne. So once again, Augustus returned to scheming looking for a way to secure his dynasty. For him, it didn't matter how far he expanded the empire's borders. If he couldn't bequeath the land to his blood, to Caesar's blood, it was all for naught. Augustus's first move was to call 46-year-old Tiberius out of retirement. More importantly, on June 26th, 4 CE, Augustus officially adopted Tiberius as his son. It was a significant moment for Tiberius, who had always felt like the unwanted stepson. As part of the deal, Tiberius agreed to adopt Germanicus, his own nephew. Even though they were already family, the adoption assured Augustus that Tiberius would shepherd and protect the empire until Germanicus was mature enough to take the throne. The order of succession was in place once again and just in time. This time, tragedy struck Augustus directly, and Tiberius found himself standing by his adopted father's deathbed. Though the two men had experienced plenty of conflict over the years, Augustus embraced his adopted son. He knew Tiberius was his only hope for the dynasty. With some of his last words, he made Tiberius promise to rule wisely and pass along his teachings to Germanicus, who would eventually take the throne. Then, on August 19th, 14 CE, 75-year-old Augustus died of natural causes. One of the greatest empires in human history now belonged to one man, Tiberius. 
Coming up, Tiberius reluctantly ascends to the throne. Now, back to the story. On August 19th, 14 CE, 55-year-old Tiberius knelt by the deathbed of his adopted father, Emperor Augustus. When Augustus stopped breathing, Tiberius became the most powerful man in the Roman Empire. Tiberius' mind flooded with conflicting thoughts and emotions. Augustus was his emperor, his adopted father, his stepfather, and father-in-law. When Tiberius was a young boy, Augustus had hunted his family and nearly killed them. Then Augustus stole Tiberius' mother. And now, Tiberius stood at the man's side, holding his hand. Augustus was both his ticket to wealth and riches, and the roots of most of the trauma in his life. It was a moment that Tiberius had never imagined. Always the ugly duckling of his household, he had generally shunned titles and the spotlight. But there was no escaping the spotlight now. A few days later, the Senate read Augustus's will. It stated, Since cruel fate has torn me from my grandsons Gaius and Lucius, let Tiberius be my heir. In some ways, it was a final jab at Tiberius. Augustus reminded everyone that Gaius and Lucius had been his first picks. Tiberius was merely the consolation prize. But Tiberius didn't hold a grudge. In a sense, he understood the old man's disappointment. After all, he didn't expect to become emperor either. Over the course of the next week, Tiberius held massive funeral rites for Augustus. He performed the eulogy along with his son Drusus, whom he had named after his brother. And at the end, the Roman Senate conferred the greatest title of all upon Augustus. He was now a god. In the days and weeks that followed the death of Augustus, Tiberius moved quickly to consolidate the dynasty. Augustus had left instructions for his last remaining grandson, one of Julia and Agrippa's sons, to be murdered. The boy was the runt of the litter and considered an unacceptable heir. The last obstacle was Augustus's daughter and Tiberius's former wife, Julia. She had been living in exile for close to 12 years, but even outside of Rome, she was still a liability to the empire. If Julia were to have any more children, there could be further claims to the crown. Also, as the blood of Augustus, she could be kidnapped and used as a hostage for ransom. So Tiberius decided to kill her. In the days that followed, Tiberius was called before the Roman Senate to officially be named emperor. Though Augustus had wrested all power from the Senate, they still existed and held some symbolic power the senators made grand speeches in favor of Tiberius. And on September 17th, 14 CE, 54-year-old Tiberius was named Emperor of the Roman Empire. According to the historian Tacitus, the next 12 years of Tiberius's reign were considered the good years. It was a period of stability and moderation for Rome. 
and it appeared for a time that Tiberius wished to restore the virtues of Julius Caesar's Roman Republic. To do this, Tiberius strengthened the Senate. Unlike Augustus, whose word was generally considered final, Tiberius encouraged senators to disagree with him. He also advocated for freedom of speech and the press, though these principles were limited mainly to Roman nobility. He undertook public works projects to protect the city from flooding. And after years of meager corn crops, he tried to stabilize corn prices to help citizens. In 15 CE, as a show of respect for his hard work, the Senate proposed giving Tiberius the title of Pater Patriae, which literally means Father of the Fatherland. It was considered the most significant title for a living person in Rome. In spite of the honor, Tiberius refused. He gave a rousing speech to the Senate that he did not want such titles. But this just endeared Tiberius to his senators further. He was clearly a wise and humble leader. Tiberius's rapport with Roman citizens was less cozy. He was seen as aloof and bookish, and he didn't help his public image by canceling gladiator events and suspending the theater, which were popular among citizens. Meanwhile, Tiberius's disdain for the Roman people was likely due to his perception that they ridiculed his appearance. He had always battled self-consciousness for his head, nose, and chin, but as he aged, he also suffered from skin ailments. In his later years, many people described him as having pustules and rashes on his face. Which may also be the reason that starting in 16 CE, 57-year-old Tiberius began to prepare for his retirement. Not only did he want to escape the public eye, he already sensed his own mortality. These preparations involved transferring many of his decisions to an ambitious and crafty man named Seanus. Seanus was the head of the Praetorian Guard, the elite group of soldiers who protected the Roman emperors. Seanus had served under Augustus and was a trusted, skillful soldier. Over the years, Tiberius and Seanus became close friends. As a show of respect and trust, Tiberius even arranged a marriage between his son Drusus and Seanus's daughter. And then Seanus became even more important to Tiberius when once again the emperor received tragic news. In early November of 19 CE, a message arrived from Egypt. Germanicus, Tiberius's nephew, adopted son, and heir to the empire, was dead. To make matters worse, there was rampant speculation that 29-year-old Germanicus had been poisoned. Immediately, Tiberius assigned Seanus to protect Germanicus's family. The slain heir's sons, 13-year-old Nero, 11-year-old Drusus, and 7-year-old Caligula were now the only surviving blood of Augustus and Caesar. And Tiberius had vowed to Augustus to protect the dynasty at all costs. Unbeknownst to Tiberius, many in the empire thought Seanus was involved in the murder of Germanicus. In fact, Seanus's plan for seizing control from Tiberius was just beginning. But for now, Tiberius retained the crown. 
he assured the Senate, I shall always be true to myself, not shall I ever change my ways, as long as I am of sound mind. Little did the Roman Senate or Tiberius know that in a few short years, his soundness of mind would be gone, the empire would be in danger, and he would be considered a monster of torture, executions, and sexual depravity. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll chronicle the final years of Tiberius's reign. After years of protecting Augustus's dynasty from power struggles, murder, and assassinations, Tiberius succumbs to the dark descent into madness. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Dictators, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dictators on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Dictators was written by Adam De Silva, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Remember to follow Blind Dating for a dash of romance and rejection. YouTuber Tara Michelle hosts, and she's thrilled to help hopeful singles meet their match once they've survived the hot seat. Follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.